0: Hello listeners, are you a geek? Do you like podcasts? If you answered yes, then come on down and listen to Geek Wars, a trivia game show podcast where 12 teams will compete to prove once and for all who is the greatest geeks of them all. Come play along as our competitors struggle to answer questions like... Which villain is known as the World Eater? I have an idea, but I don't think it's right. What is the first ever created Pokemon? Oh, I literally have no idea. What is the name of the blaster that was made famous by the smuggler Han Solo? Gosh, I'm drawing blanks here. Season one. Has players from battle bars, cipher speak, DM going in blind, lining up pod, magic item review, party of one, the RPG academy, sneak attack. We're so bad at adventuring. Whelmed the young Justice files. Zeroes talking heroes and more. So what are you waiting for? Download and listen to season one. And be prepared, because Season 2 is coming. Thanks for listening, and now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch.
1: And I'm your other host, DM Neil, a.k.a. Maniac.
0: And we have an awesome episode for you today. We are going to be talking about secret... Societies, but don't tell anyone. Uh, and we have an awesome guest joining us. We have Satine Phoenix here uh, to talk about secret societies with us. But, Neil, before we get into this awesome segment of the meet, we have some five star reviews. We do.
1: And this one, this one comes from a lot of different places. And I have a lot of questions after it, but I will read it and then we can go from there. And this <laughs> one is from D. NetSam. And they gave us the five star review of Limber Up. I assume that's a reference to the DMnastics. I recently enjoyed my first experience as a DM. Unfortunately, my players did not. Fortunately, though, they shared their feedback, fueling a hunger to fill my skill gaps. I downloaded an episode from 10 different DM focused podcasts, and this one stood out. I have laughed, I have cried, and I pulled my car over to frantically write down ideas. Please keep the content coming. We will.
0: I just pictured like busy highway and just car ripping, like cutting off
2: several I also,
1: also uh. envision the idea that they don't have a writing utensil and they, but their car is dirty. So they just like <laughs> scribble notes in their, then their like rear, like their rear window. <laughs> so thank you, D Net Sam. And we will definitely keep the content coming.
0: Our next one comes from Phosphorus and it is entitled one of the best five stars. This is hands down one of my favorite podcasts. It's a must for DMs of all levels, but I'd suggest it to anyone who likes to challenge themselves creatively. I look forward to new episodes. I flag older episodes for multiple listens, and I've discovered new podcasts that I love through their guests. Can't recommend it enough. Thank you so much, Phosphorus. Uh, We appreciate that awesome review. Yes, I'm
1: happy that we are also getting you to listen to more great content creators. So for this last review, we are going to head up to Canada. And it comes from Photo Dudette, who gave the five-star review, great info. This podcast is full of great ideas for DMs and is fun to listen to. Boom, done. Thank you, Photo Dudette. And we will keep on Giving you great ideas
0: spread that news in Canada about the show
1: and with that, let's
2: head
0: to the meat I'm starving
2: We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. So
1: today on The Meat, we are going to be talking to an amazing guest who we are beyond excited to have with us, and that is none other than Satine Phoenix, who is co-creator of Maze Arcana, host of GM Tips on Geek & Sundry, DM for Sirens of the Realms on Twitch.tv slash d a DM Guild adept. With some truly amazing people who we have also had on the show, creator of Celebrity Charity Twenty, and I'm going to add a couple that she does not know that I'm adding, illustrator for New Praetorians, which is amazing. Go check it out at ComicComicsology.com, and one of the celebrity DMs for D&D in a Castle, of which I will be attending.
2: Oh yeah, those are all the things. Those are many of the things. No, I was
1: going to say, don't don't dare say all. <laughs> don't you dare. <laughs>
0: So Satine, welcome to the yes. show. Uh, Neil, you can put Thank your you. scroll of introduction away now.
1: <laughs> it's it's a word doc. I'll close it down and get to the get to the uh, outline now.
2: I am I'm deeply humbled. Thank you very much.
1: And we are just as humbled to have you here to talk about secret societies. But before we do, we have a couple interview style questions, like we do with all of our guests. So Satine,
0: if anybody doesn't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about
2: yourself? I am Satine. I'm a very nice person who likes to play, and (laughs) what does that mean? That means I play a lot of Dungeons & Dragons, I like to work out with friends, I like to write stories with friends, I like to do photo shoots, and basically, uh, a modern storyteller renaissance human. Yeah, pretty much. I'm I'm, I'm your normal renaissance girl. (laughs) That's true. I've been playing D&D since 1995, I've been reading about it since 1988. Man. A long time ago. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's actually really cool. Um, I spend most of my time, and I say most of my time, uh, my business partner slash best friend and I spent all of last year going to all the D&D conventions and tabletop conventions and uh, doing live streams with Dungeons and & Dragons and Geek and & Sundry doing more than just Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, we played Dread, which was pretty cool. Ivan Van Norman was the storyteller for that. Just started playing Vampire again. Haven't touched it since oh, wow. 1996. Back then it was Larping. Now it's tabletop. But um, I actually Larped for the first time since 96 about two weeks ago. So fun!
1: She's back, Larp community.
2: Yeah, I can't get enough. So I'm like, I'm basically gaming almost every day. It's the dream. Yeah, that that's real. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll give you a moment, and at that moment, you can think about telling us all of the awesome things that you're currently working on. And I will always add the caveat that you are allowed to tell us.
2: So the guild add ups, we have so many amazing things happening. Uh Rudy and I are putting together some of the content that we made for our 2017 D and D streams. So we had a show that called fury's reach and it was two games, but he and I were both dungeon master each table, but the stories kind of went together uh each group was after the same item. And so, you know, mine was on Tuesdays, his was on Wednesdays, and then we would go back and forth through Cholt and it was insane. Like I don't I don't even know how we kept up with that pace because it's pretty hard when just running your own game is hard, but then running two games is really, really hard. But we invented some really cool stuff like I don't know if you guys are playing Tomb of Annihilation, but um in Cholt there's like the Grand Souk. So we designed all the uh, store owners and stores and what the inside of the souks look like and we did the, um, the 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 strip mall ziggurats and came up with mechanics for what happens when you walk into a strip mall ziggurat and how you can get lost and the kind of adventures you can have in there so we're going to be putting that out hopefully within the next six months It it takes a lot it takes a lot and we're working on some secret things with Dungeons and Dragons that we can't talk about which is mm. awesome Yeah, Um, But that's just on that end with D&D. The other thing that I'm doing this year, I started it last year, but (laughs) everything just kind of got swept away with amazingness. Um, But I'm writing a book called Mirror Into the Maze and um, it's called Mirror Into the Maze Reflections of a Life Well Played. And it's kind of an autobiography and kind of a workbook on uh, not self-help, but it helped. It's on how D&D helped me through PTSD because I had really severe 10 years of uh, childhood trauma that I didn't even start processing until I was about 28. And so this was is basically me looking back what D&D has meant to me since I was eight years old and how I used it without even realizing it to become the character that I would design. Like these strong, fast, smart, witty people that I kind of became because I was like, well, I'm creating these characters But I can be that in real life, and I've done Spartan races, and I was a fitness model, and I was the Amazon, and I was, you know, the sorceress, and I became all these characters that helped me become the person I am today. So this book is a kind of a workbook. Read it for entertainment. Read it because you might have PTSD you know and it might help it's been incredible doing the research on this there's so many people excited about <laughs> excited about PTSD and <laughs> and how theater and gaming helps with that it's really interesting cuz my PTSD comes from childhood trauma and Rudy's comes from him being in the military a field medic in the military so you know we when we met we were like oh we are so similar, which is really weird because our traumas are so different we actually know like we interact better because of our uh what we have in common in that area so uh there's some interviews with him in there too, where I'm like, okay, this was how I used this. Let's take a look at the male perspective from a military background and I'm sure I'll be interviewing a lot more people over the next year, but that's pretty much uh, that's gonna be a really. It's not slow, but it's a very drawn-out process because of all the conventions that we're doing, we're going to GaryCon, we're going to Origins, Gen Con, D&D in a Castle. Sirens of the Realms is coming back on twitch.tv slash d on Tuesdays in March, a.m. and that goes through June. That's really great. I'm so amazed at these girls, you know? Like, I've got really fun performers who know how to be on camera who love playing. They just love playing so much. And they write songs with their spells. And it's just super silly fun. And they allow me to, I got in a car accident a few years ago. So I have really bad brain damage. And I just forget rules. Like I forget Hyde. I forgot Hyde for an entire episode. And one of the girls is like, I think it's like this. I'm like, no, that sounds OP. We're going to throw that out the window. They're <laughs> like, okay. And so like they don't, they don't rule lawyer me. And they keep it fun and fresh. And that's really great. Maze Arcana has been building out our little um, network of shows and one of the shows is called Maze Plays and that's Rudy playing uh, video games which is really cool because we have they're all um, games that our friends made like Joe Moduera made Battle Chaser so we're running that right now and we're gonna have Mm -hmm. him on which is really great and then we have a brand new show a Noir in Eberron, in like the lower duras of Sharn. So, if anybody's a fan of Eberron, we're the only group that's allowed to live stream uh, Eberron. So, you want to get your Eberron fixed, go check us out. The new show is called Myth Maker Society. And uh, if you go to mazarkana.com you can sign up and join the Myth Maker Social Club. That comes out March 21st. And yeah, we'll be at Game Hole Con later this year. And um, I'm just doing a whole lot of uh, dungeon mastering online for uh, patrons and conventions for uh, VIPs and stuff. And that's all I can remember off the top of my head right now.
0: So your schedule <laughs> is pretty open is what
2: I'm hearing. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm often bored. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Trying to um, get back into the regimen that I had when I was making comics because comics was interesting. It's, 16 hours a day for about three to four months. And that's no joke. That's like six to seven days a week. But I was still able to wake up and work out and come back and get that rhythm. So I'm trying to figure out how to run multiple businesses and also keep my sanity. <laughs> yeah, routine's really important.
0: The book sounds extremely oh my interesting yeah. to me. I think. Uh, you know, as people who are so involved with D&D and, and talking to people constantly that love D&D and role-playing games in general, I think we often forget that the outside world, the world that doesn't know tabletop role-playing game and LARPing and all that kind of stuff, s- still, even though we are in a time where being a geek is way more accepted and cool now than it was like years ago, I still think that the outside is still looking in a lot and going, oh, like that's weird. And there's very, you know, there's negative aspects to that and looking at it in that kind of sense, just, oh, it takes up so much of your time. And you're just so, you know, you're being antisocial, which is completely wrong because it's a total social thing. (laughs) Um, Or even if you go to that, uh, seventies satanic panic and people still like, Ooh, Dungeons and Dragons scary. But as somebody on the inside, I think this is what like your Book sounds like it's focusing on is there's so much healthy, healthy growing and learning and benefits to tabletop role playing, and it sounds uh, I'm I'm excited to when that book comes out be able to uh, get that and read that because I I'm excited to hear Thank those you. stories.
2: Well, it's oh, really yeah. interesting because people don't realize how like the variety of people that are that are healed by play, right? Um, all my research so far is like, okay, so you have PTSD. Very simply go to your local theater group and join the theater. Mm. Well I, I love that, but that is time consuming. <laughs> like that's more time consuming. <laughs> yeah I'm just saying go to a table once a week and make <laughs> new st- make new memories and I think that is the most important thing. I you know being almost 40 and having tons and that... I have thousands of friends now. It's incredible. It's, it's a lot of work. But yes. it's amazing to meet so many people. And a lot of people I noticed are like, you know, back back in my 20s and back in high school and all these glory day things. And they seem really stuck, right? And stuck in these memories. And the thing about D&D is you're constantly making new memories. And that right there is so incredibly healthy, um, it keeps you young. It keeps you creative. And I honestly think that that's like the key to uh, eternal life or at least living a really long time.
1: Yep. And I think the most exciting thing is to watch our generation get old and be in homes and talk about our D&D games.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's really
1: the most it's what I'm most excited for. I'm ready to be old and talk about um, all the games that I played with the amazing people that were in them.
0: So before we jump into our discussion On Secret Societies, we have one more question for you, Satine. This one's a surprise question. You knew that a surprise question was coming, but had no idea what it was, of course. So this one comes from one of our Patreon dragons, DM Pax. And what DM Pax asks is, if you could have an item that granted flight, what kind of item would it be and why? And he gave the example of, you know, you have the brooms, you have the magic carpet, winged shoes. Uh, What would be Satine Phoenix's item of choice?
2: Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, DM Pax, for your question. And, oh, man, it would probably be, like, a cool harness, like a bolero jacket of flying or something, or high heels, because I really love high heels. Maybe, like, (laughs) knee-high boots of flying, where you can, like, I could actually run full speed and then fly in high heels. Like, I'm talking, like, five- or six-inch heels and platforms. (laughs) Yeah, like that it would probably be that a bolero jacket or like some rhinestoned out black leather or like gold <laughs> trim or something. Yeah, that's what I would do.
0: Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much, uh DM Pax and thank you, Satine, for answering that.
1: So We are going to now jump straight into Secret Societies, how to put them in your homebrew game, how to just use them and some great ideas from our brains to yours. So the question that we kind of want to throw out first to all of us is, what is the purpose of a secret society in a homebrew world or in rather any game that you're playing?
2: Secret societies are cool. I look at them like just another layer of whatever town or city or world that you're playing in. And it, you know, you have your churches, you have your kinds of people, but the secret societies prove that there is another group within this that all have the same train of thought and purpose that are doing something else. And it's not necessarily bad, but they're just doing something else that, excludes other people because of the value they put on this idea and you can use that in a couple different ways um you can use that as you know like maybe it's uh the no- nobility use it or maybe it's the anti-nobility that use it to get their point across um you can have multiple secret societies that all have different reasons and maybe their clo they clash um Those are just a couple ideas.
0: I think that one of the things that you said that resonates with me is that don't think about secret societies as all bad. Like they can be there for protection for good. In fact, I think for uh, I think protection is a huge reason when I was Mm -hmm. thinking through secret societies. Why would a secret society society, uh, exist? And it can be protection on all different kinds of levels. Maybe they protect these powerful artifacts that if they were to fall into the wrong hands could mean world-devastating things. And so they protect them, they keep them secret, they keep them safe, (laughs) as as is the (laughs) saying. They could also be a noble class uh, as far as a governing secret class. And, uh, you know, you think of the Illuminati or something. So, you know, these secret societies that are the ideas, well, they're actually controlling everything, but we don't know Mm -hmm. that they're using other uh, governing forces as puppets But you could also have the other end, like you were talking about, where it's a secret society that the lower class has made a group of. And this society could be watching for the governing forces to step out of line. And that's when they come into action and they take action because they're there to protect the people. It could be a secret society of assassins that will step in when the governing forces start using their power against the ones that they're supposed to protect.
2: It's interesting that, you know, one person might belong to two different societies, right? The crossover might be really interesting. Um, you can play with that a lot. Uh, how they influence each other, I think, is another thing. You have one town and one secret society, but what if you have one town and three different ones? How do they interact and what are they there for? What, what's the purpose of having it in the first place? Because they're all created because somebody wants something. Knowing what people in your town want is, brings it to life for sure. Everybody, sh- everybody, your characters, your NPCs, every single person, a creature wants something. Even a monster wants something.
1: I think the, the biggest thing that uh, secret society does for me in my mind is add another dimension. Mm-hmm. If you don't have any sort of secret society in your world, and don't get me wrong, that's totally fine, but there's just a different dimension that your game will have. There is the known good. There is the known evil. There's no questions with a secret society, though. That's where you can start to add these really interesting layers because you Mitch, you already brought it up that you're in the lower class builds the system of assassins. Not everyone is going to agree with that. And but the, is that inherently good? Is it inherently bad? And that's for your players to, to decide, of course. But I just love the amount of complexity that you can add by adding secret societies to a game.
0: Yeah. Neil, I liked what you said about don't feel bad if you don't have any secret societies in your world yet. The thing is, you do. Uh, your NPCs just haven't told you about it yet. So they're <laughs> there. Those secret societies are there. They might just be they're secret very, from you, the world builder, secret. <laughs> already. So. <laughs> Some secret societies might be about hoarding, like, knowledge. I think knowledge is a big one, uh, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, just secrets, history, special types of magic. And as you are the world builder here, you have to ask yourself, why is it that they're hoarding that? Is it a protection thing? Is it a power thing? Is it just a, well, because we've been keeping these secret and you need to be part of our group for thousands of years. And that's just how it has always been.
2: I love the idea that there's a group of farmers. Yes. You know, like they're, they're super quiet, but all of a sudden something comes to town or somebody starts getting a little crazy. And then like the, the PTA jumps in, secret PTA jumps in <laughs> and tries to, you know rally forces and and figure things out and hiring people um the different intensity too like are is it a casual secret society is it a highly ritualistic secret society what are the practices what what is the purpose
1: i can't get out of my mind that the group of farmers are called the sides because like that's the tool that they would use and it's terrifying (laughs) and it makes me so happy so Kind of a question, and we've danced around it a little bit, but how do we introduce the PCs to secret societies? I I mean, it's either going to be subtle or it's not, depending on where your players have decided to insert themselves into the ideas and inner workings of those societies.
2: In Sirens, I used a bookmark. It was in a book that had dropped and it was the color of the bookmark and the patterns and the way it was cut and the girls figured it out and it was really cool. Um, that's so good. Dropping in symbols, perceiving people uh, doing a thing, doing a pattern thing. Maybe a handshake's a little off. You're like, that's strange. Why would they do those things? Handshakes, clothing, symbols on the walls and on strange artifacts or just like... Places you wouldn't normally see them. Depen- like It depends on what the secret society is, but also maybe overhearing somebody say phrases. Odd. You know? Um, if you're playing D&D, it's, you know, you can... I would weave in with the factions, right? Maybe a faction is associated or has a link to a secret society, and that kind of gives... The players more draw to that because they're already linked to their faction, Um, nobility, uh, people in the city that they're meeting up with, you know, maybe the the local police, the the bakers, you know, like something that where you're in contact with somebody and they say a thing that you don't recognize and it makes it curious and you don't have to be really blatant about it. But, like, kind of keeping it there on the edges for a while, I would kind of dabble. I would kind of show them one here, show them a symbol there, and they're like, wait a minute, there's a pattern. In this town, there are things that don't make sense. Now, I'm going to go and hunt that. Now, is it like you're making the campaign, looking into the secret society? Do you want that to be a primary thing? Or are you looking at it as um, just something that exists as a thing that they could be interested in in the future like that's you really want to think about that when you're kind of offering up this information to your players
0: and when you drop clues like that in whether it's a bookmark that you you know you're describing to your players they open up uh this book and you start to describe the bookmark i mean that's something that players are usually going to go why is she describing this bookmark there's something about this. And I have never met a player that would hear something like that and go, ah, whatever. I'm not going to look into that more. Like there's an interest. There's a, like, I need to know more, like put that on my, I need to find out more about this strange bookmark. Or oh, uh, as you said, like it was the smell. Or, it was the smell. Of, like it had <laughs> it a was scent the to smell it?
2: of the, yeah. Cause I, I think she opened it. It was like, how to cut meat or something really silly. And she's like, that's weird. And they, they're looking at the thing. And then it like the bookmark smelled interesting, mm. like walnut. And they were like, oh, there, that's a thing. And so they kept it on them. And then they noticed somebody else in a tavern that had something similar. And so they started asking questions about it. I, I thought they were very clever yeah. about Yeah, one. I think I invented it on the spot, honestly, (laughs) (laughs) because like one of the girls couldn't show up, and I'm like, okay, so now there's a secret society, and they're doing this. And but you uh, threw it out there for them,
0: and they bit, and they were interested just by one little detail. And it's funny because in the real world, if you opened a book and you had that like happen to you, most people would just like not even think about it. But as you, the DM, are kind of dropping that little clue on, most of your players will pick up that oh, something, you know. There's something here unless unless the just really wanted to describe the book as having a walnut smell, (laughs) like which could be the case. But I feel like there's something else here. Maybe I need to look into it. And you can be as as blatant with that or as subtle as you want to. Uh, I liked the uh, you said something about like eating. And I just thought of, you know, maybe there's this secret like if. If you take from the cheese plate first and then from the bread plate and then drink your wine, you're signifying to the other person that you are part <laughs> of this group, uh, but normal people aren't going to pick up on that. And so you mm-hmm. could go really subtle or really blatant, like you said, possibly dependent on, do you want this to be a main goal? Or is this a side quest that you kind of like, okay, let's see if they figure it out. Let's see if you know they they actually figure this out. And if they do, great, we can explore that. And if they don't,
2: it's okay. Yeah.
1: So kind of the idea that came to my mind is, you know, the difference between it's a secret society that happens to exist and they function in the same area that your players are in, almost having like a DC for perception that's like a static 20, 25, somewhere in that top range because they're a secret society. That's what they do. But -hmm. then if you want it to be something that they find out, have that progressively drop the more that your players are starting to interact with it. So they've seen, you know, as an example, the bookmark, they've been in a place where for some reason, there's always someone wearing this bright red in almost every situation that they're in, but like, that wouldn't be weird, but it seems to be every situation that they're in and like progressively bring that down until essentially they have to figure it out and then continue your story.
0: I think there can also be when you're wondering, how do I introduce this to my PC asking yourself, You know, there can be different levels of public knowledge depending on which secret society you're talking about. This secret society might be so secret that only those who are involved with it know about its existence. Or you could go, you know, a step closer to public knowledge and say this secret society, like there's rumors, there's stories, there's legends that surround the secret society and there's a degree of some people believe that it exists, some people think it's just stories, some people think, oh, I think it did exist, but it's not existing anymore. Or you can just go full on, like, oh, everybody knows that this secret society exists. The problem is we don't know why, we don't know what they're hiding, there's stories about it. And we also, of course, have no idea how to become part of the secret society, but it could just be out there that this. Is something that is public knowledge, and you could also, because a secret society, drop a lot of false hints and false clues and false facts about this secret society.
2: Good and bad. So you've got one guy who's yeah. like praise the secret society, and the other guy is like conspiracy theorist. You're like, yes. Oh man, I heard these guys do this thing, and I saw I saw them, or I knew somebody that knew a guy who watched this ritual, and it was like this goat thing, and really it was like. Yeah, you know, just a some farmer wanted to give his kid a goat for their birthday or something like that. You know. Yes, you can't go wrong without dropping a conspiracy but. theorist
0: into your game. You can't go wrong, <laughs> especially with that accent right there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting this idea of secret societies because, it, dungeon mastering is a dance, knowing when to give your players information. And um, we can talk about this till we're blue in the face, but it's really important to know what, the, what your purpose is for putting them in. Are you putting it in because it's really cool? That's cool. But how, how are your players going to react to it? You know, So giving and then taking and then pushing and pulling the story a little bit. And the moment you provide that first clue – Your players are going to want to turn in that direction. So you have to figure out what, like, it's like a side quest, right? Do they go, like, you pace when that side quest happens based on how you tell them. And I say this in a a not logical way, not mechanical way. It's more a story feeling uh, energy noticing when they are kind of tired of just dungeon crawling or tired of traveling in this direction. You're like, okay, I'm going to drop this in because it's going to just massage and maneuver the story in this way. And then I'm going to come back. So that that's just how I look at. Well, storytelling, I guess.
1: <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's a, I feel like we've had to have said it before. I mean, it's the idea of knowing when, it's like you said, it's a dance knowing when it is or isn't okay for them to know something. Mm -hmm. Like if at the very beginning you allow them to roll to see the secret society and you're not okay with a 20 making it so that they know, then they shouldn't be rolling in the same way. Like you're going to get to a point where you don't like, you don't care if they roll a one, they need to know. And so like understanding that balance and the in between (laughs) It's definitely the first case, way more than the second case that happens to me. And that's where I learned, if you're not ready for a 20, don't be ready for the 20.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and also knowing how to give them information and when they start digging, back off. So you give them the information they want, but you don't want them to feel like their questions are futile. Right, You want them to ask the appropriate amount of questions and then feel like they're the ones choosing to move on versus, well, that's all we can get out of that person, which is really important because you want to make your players feel like they're in charge of everything that's happening and that every decision they make matters. And like, we always have people who over question, like we're going to go in and answer all these questions or ask all these questions or we get all this information but as a dungeon master, you only have pre-planned so much information. So it's like how do you keep giving clues? Do you just give them all all the answers out at first? How long do you want to draw it out? It depends on if you have a a home group, it's a lot easier to know to like to plan because you know what they're going to ask before they even ask it because you know them so well. But if you're playing at a convention or, you know, with a, a random table of people, you really need to feel it out and kind of disperse the information more subtly than you would um, other groups.
0: And it can be like a, a good wine too, letting it age. And if you allow there to be time where you're dropping little things and watching your players and letting them kind of work through figuring out things so that they kind of lead themselves there, then the payoff in the end is probably going to be a lot more meaningful, then let's be honest, if you want to introduce a secret society, you can just have them, oh, you guys, roll a perception check for me, oh, you see that basement door is open and you hear weird things coming from down there, and so you can just have your players walk in on a meeting if you really want to, but kind of letting them follow the clues and letting them figure it out, like getting to that point at the end is going to be more of a payoff, is going to be, and they're going to feel like they had more of a control in it and like we got ourselves to this point we figured it out we secret did.
2: doors yes secret doors man secret doors are awesome My, I, <laughs> and you can give them three secret doors they will be excited every single time <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking 3 in 1 session.
0: Oh my gosh, they love secret it. doors, secret <laughs> handshakes,
2: secret passwords, all these <laughs> things
0: about secret societies just so exciting and such cool things to play around with and your players will be excited when they find these things out and and are able to be a part of it.
2: Yeah, and really it's the puzzle, right? Like that's what people really like. Secret society is just another avenue for another puzzle. So um, I recommend going online and even if it's like mazes. I just designed a maze for this map thing that I did. um, And I'd never done that before. And now what I want to do is overlay a maze and puzzle on top of the next city that we go in i hope my girls aren't listening to this um uh spoilers but yeah i'm gonna like put a maze on top of the town's map so that i know the routes that things go to and if they follow the clues within this they'll get to a place and when they realize that they've been actually they've been maneuvering the way that i want them to maneuver and like it's going to blow their mind. And I think that'll be really fun. That's awesome.
0: So uh, we've talked a lot about the purpose of secret societies. We've talked about how to introduce your PCs uh, to secret societies. Okay. So let's say you've done it. You've worked through it. You've come up with a secret society. You've given the clues out there. And now we're at the point in the campaign where Your PCs want to become part of that secret society. (laughs) Let's talk about initiation. How do they become part of that secret society? What are some ways that there can be initiation into a secret society?
2: Well, now that they know about it, um, well, they would have to, like, I would make it so they have to research what the secret society is and then... They would have to do something that aligns with that secret society and do stuff to it. Because a lot of these, you don't go, hey, knock, knock, knock. I want to come in. It's really, you have to make yourself renowned and known and they come to you. What is it that they're going to do that's going to draw the attention and inspire the secret society to come to you? Because that's what it's about, right? Like persuading them that they need you without outright telling them. Proving yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. That was my thing was, and it was something you had mentioned, Satine, that you know in every secret secret society is built for a purpose. Like they didn't just come together just because and even if they did just because they still have an express purpose. And no matter what your initiation is, I feel that it has to be proof of that purpose for the people that are trying to join it. Because the reason they created this society is because it is secret and it is in a way sacred to them, that purpose. And they don't want someone to join that they then have to question their purpose at some point or just would completely shake things up. And maybe that's the long-term story is that that's what your players do because that's what players do. But <laughs> I, I think that whoever is trying to join has to prove that they align themselves with a society.
2: And usually that's in giving something up or a vow, right? If a society has come to you, it's because you – you have done something that is aligned with them you still have to prove that you belong there and that you choose to be a part of them and it's almost and it might be an exclusive thing like we are allowing you to join us because, but you have to do a thing you can make it really nice and like okay you know go and uh, give of yourself to your community or it can be kill this guy or kill this goat or go steal a thing. You know, it can be as dangerous or not dangerous as as you want. And and with killing, if that is
0: part of it, once again, don't just jump to the conclusion that that is only going to be for evil secret societies. There might be a target that they they need eliminated and it might be listen The things that we protect in the society, they are so incredibly important. We need to make sure, yeah, we get that this is hard, but we need to make sure you're committed and you're willing to do whatever it takes. We are still Mm -hmm. working for the greater good, but sometimes this is going to come up, and we need to make sure that when you're part of our group that you follow instructions. You follow orders. One of the things that you talked about that I I loved was the the vow. And I think that, you know, initiation, we think of it as, like, this is how you get in. This is the introduction. But I think that a big part of initiation could be security on the secret society's part to making sure, well, once you're in, you're in. There's no getting out. We don't want you spreading our secrets. Like, if you're in, you're in. I thought of the... um, the unbreakable vow that Snape takes in the Harry Potter series and how, if you break this vow, and of course there's magic weaved into that and you can have a secret society like that. But if you unbreak, if you break this vow, you die. So if you break these secrets, if you try to leave, you die. And that could be magical that once you're, you actually do that as a uh, person, you just have a heart attack, heal over, and drop dead, or it could be. Or simply, you lose your
2: arm or something. Y- like yes! maybe it's a tattoo, and then like that whole thing just severs your hand. Oh. Like that'd be really cool. <laughs> yeah, and then there's oh. no like, yeah, where's the tattoo?
0: You're not talking. Like, what are you talking about? There's no secret side. Get out of here. Or yeah, just we will hunt you down. You taking this vow? You have to understand. If you try to leave, if you try to tell our secrets, you're dead. We're coming after you.
2: Yeah. Um, so the vow is kind of like a baptism, right? Like if you think of religion, you go through a thing that really, it's more than just a promise. It's its a ritual that makes you believe more. Like you become a part of it because everybody in it is there with you and they're going through this thing with you. And it's about immersion, it's like, yeah. Like, uh, Immersion, a threshold crossing, uh, it's next level, right? And so you want your players to feel like their characters aren't just walking and going, okay, I'm in. It's we are here with you. And so I would, if it were me, I would do a, a, I would create a ritual of some sort and make it, you know, maybe it's anointing with whatever holy water or maybe it's, you know, like the, just the crossing of a threat. Like think of a marriage, Right. So that's essentially that's that's a ritual where you're initiated into a a promise and a group with like minds and it's just one and one but there's still a thing you know where there's that crushing of the glass and the napkin that's a thing and everybody's there to witness it. There's the jumping brooms I think in some cultures. Lifting of the veil,
1: pouring the two two things of sand oh, together yes. to create one. And yeah, that, I mean that's fire, what I did at my lighting own. Lighting
2: fires together, you know, and oh well, uh, I messed it, up. I should have done fire. Go on. <laughs> a Wiccan, you know, when you when you're doing a Wiccan ritual, you um, you say something to the different spirits of the um, north, south, east, and west, and you kind of do this opening and closing. And I, I'm sorry, I love theology and I study. Um, all that kind of stuff so it's just really neat to and do that like go look up what other people do you can read pretty much almost anything on the internet and you know there's some really simple things that you can that you can do as a dungeon master to get your players a little more immersed
0: there's a lot of real world inspiration that you can gain from and put into your home homebrew games and can simply just take or take and put a spin on and yeah, it, mm-hmm. like it, it's exactly what we've been talking about this whole, this whole episode and what we talk about all the time on this podcast is giving your world more depth, giving your world more of a real feeling. And who doesn't love in a D&D game some rituals, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to get branded in the next season of Sirens. I don't know. I'm so yes. excited about that yes. hand thing. Like...
0: <laughs> Once well, again, that... hopefully they're not listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: It also made me think of like with the hand thing and item that is worn. So, you know, be it yeah. a bracelet or I mean, necklace is much scarier of a thought, but you know, even with the bracelet, you break it, that hand's coming off because the bracelet's coming off in a very aggressive manner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but then that is also proof that you belong to that society. Another, another one is, um, an earring with no clasp no nothing broken so it's in like an unbroken circle that's in the ear so you can't it can't be removed without you know something happening
2: yeah that's cool i used to have a permanent earring that was a promise and it was i actually got it in a ritual for a thing and the only reason why i don't have it now is cuz of the car accident they had to like use pliers to get it off but it was very special to me because of what it meant. And every day I would wake up and I would see it or I would touch it. And I like, it was a reminder and it, it filled me. It was a simple, it's just a little tiny thing. And it just filled me with an idea. And that's what you want is this, the secret society is an idea that's going to stay with your characters and your character, your players, characters, they have a purpose. They have alignments, but those things can change based on, the vows that they make within the game.
1: Yep. I mean, the. it just reminded me totally of why I knew about the idea of the earring. One of the players died very early. So the only people that were able to raise them were people that the rest of the party would probably question. What happened and how they were raised, only that player knows and what they need to do to maintain that relationship only that player knows and they would do a lot of side stuff related to that and it's an awesome way to do you know and to add that element of what in the world is going on what is who are these people and you're connected do we trust you do we not
2: oh and maybe like maybe one of the players is already in the secret society yeah. you know have like you don't even need to introduce it let the player kind of Ease it out. Like, if you know you're going to be playing a long g- campaign with a group, you just have that player kind of drop hints. Why are they going off to meet with that person? What, what it, why, wh- wh- you know, sitting around the campfire, why do you wear that clasp? Why do you touch it every morning at, you know, 10 a.m., you know, <laughs> type of thing?
0: Why did that NPC through the DM pass you that note? And what does it say? <laughs> I need to know.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All it said was,
1: "Act like you're reading this, and then tear it up and throw it away." <laughs> I may have done something Those like are that the before. Best.
2: <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I've never <laughs> done that.
0: <laughs> so, Satine, thank you for joining us on the Dungeon Masters' Block. Uh, we hope that everyone listening that you've enjoyed our discussion on secret societies, and that at this point in the episode that you are just bursting with ideas for creating a secret society or multiple in your world. And you're ready to do that and get into it and start dropping those clues to your player. So if are any of our listeners would like to know about the things that you're doing, follow you, get in touch with you and ask you about secret society questions or anything else, uh, where can they get in touch with you
2: at? You can find me on pretty much all the social medias at Satine Phoenix you can ask me direct questions, hashtag AskSateen, on Twitter specifically. Um, you can go to MazeArcana.com to see all the different shows that we're doing. If you want to join in the discussions, we do, Rudy and I do a lot of one-on-one discussions and uh, group discussions on our Patreon. It's Patreon.com slash MazeArcana, and we do have spots available for our monthly games
0: awesome well once again thank you for joining us on the dungeon masters blog yes and we hope to have you back on again sometime in the future
2: thank you you guys are lovely
0: and with that let's head to the mailbag of holding
2: but they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now, let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I've been dying to talk about the mail
0: for you all day, okay? Welcome to another segment of the Mailbag of Holding, the place where we look at ideas, stories, and questions from you, the listener. I am here once again with DM Neil.
1: Yes. Yes, you are. And
0: today we are looking at an email from DM Sam. DM Sam writes in specifically to ask us about dungeon building and some advice on how to build a dungeon. He asked if there were any specific episodes that we cover that in. Well, first, an easy answer is yes, there definitely are. Uh, Specifically episodes 13 and 48 are two episodes that you might want to go check out. But beyond that, to get into the specifics, DM Sam has created four elemental weapons, a scythe of wind, a staff of ice, a maul of earth, and a great sword of fire. And he wants to make dungeons surrounding each and every one of those items. So he's asking us for some ideas. So, Neil, what are some ideas that we have for these elemental weapons?
1: Play Zelda games. (laughs) I say that, but that's not wholly... Untrue. And that no, would be, not very, at all. That would be very dependent on your players the and whether or not they have played them. And then we'll say, oh, I figured it out. Da-da-da-da. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, looking at those games would be a great approach. The other thing that I thought of right off the bat would also be hiding the elements in opposite dungeons. So having the Great Sword of Fire be in the Dungeon of Ice as a, an attempt to hide it. Hmm. Um, I thought would be another good approach to building those dungeons to make them a little bit more interesting. Like the farther you get in, for some reason there's less ice and then you find the great sort of fire in the middle of that And uh, as an attempt hmm. to hide such a powerful artifact from the world.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I love the idea of the four elemental weapons. I think one of the things that I thought of immediately was if you really just want to take an easy route, you could just take the temples of elemental Evils And just cater them to these four weapons because those are some dungeons built around this kind of idea of the elements. But beyond that, if you if you haven't really built a dungeon before, an easy way to really do it is search Google for dungeon maps for D&D dungeon maps, and you're going to find a whole ton of images that could spark your imagination in what kind of dungeon you want it to be. And you could literally take a dungeon map off of Google Images and use that for your dungeon. And then just going through, start planning out the rooms that are there.
1: The other thing that I would say, because of kind of the approach that you're doing, don't be afraid of falling too far into the theme as well you know. so if it's an ice dungeon it's an ice dungeon you know and it's ice creatures and there's ice things and you know your players are going to know that and you know it, it can also give them the f- make them feel empowered to prepare more for what they're about to go into so I, I think really getting heavy on theme would be cool because you are using the four elements you know and so you know and, the earth is going to be underground. Maybe the ice is inside of a glacier and it's built out. The fire is in a volcano and the wind one is in the sky. I mean, I don't know. I lost it. I lost it there at that last one, but um, I'll save that for you.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, I, with that, I would fully love if I was a player to, be in searching for that weapon of fire and be fighting fire elementals throughout that dungeon. And I believe it is in episode 48, Dungeon Obstacles, that we talk about bosses being an integral part of dungeons. And, I mean, I, I would expect there to be this huge flaming demon or something of the like to be protecting this weapon of fire and the same thing with the other elements as well uh, so thank you dm sam for writing in with that email we hope that that was a satisfactory answer uh, and we hope to hear from you soon
1: well that is all we have for you today after we had secret societies starring satin mitch if they wanted to get a hold of us and let us know about their secret societies how would they do it
0: well they could reach us by email and our email address is dungeon at gmail.com. Uh, send us uh, any any email you want about Dungeons and Dragons. We'd love to hear from you. If you love listening to our show, uh, please consider taking a few seconds out of your time, heading over to iTunes, and leaving us a review. We would greatly appreciate it.
1: Yes. And if you have a few more seconds and you want to follow us on Twitter, you can go over and follow us at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. Or you can head over to Facebook and follow us there as well. Like we always do, we have another Patreon member to shout out. And today's shout out goes to Jude Jude Maloney. Yes. And Jude is a bronze dragon. Oh, yeah. Thank you. very
0: Yes. Thank you for your support, Jude. Hey, Jude. We appreciate it. The Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out other shows like the GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and of course more.
1: that's all we have for you here at the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God,
0: Killing characters,
1: and lowering the ego of all of the people at the table. I'm DM Neil, AKA Joke Moniac. good night and good luck.
0: And keep on Dungeon Mastering.
1: Of celebrity and D, is that correct? I feel like that one's wrong.
2: Celebrity Charity and D. No, actually, I got in trouble for that. It's now Celebrity Charity20.
1: <laughs> celebrity Charity D20.
2: You're almost there. Celebrity <laughs> Charity20.com. <laughs>
1: Ooh man. Wow. So
2: close. It's a mouthful. It. But if you okay. can remember it, it's it's completely worth it.
1: <laughs> okay. C- creator of Celebrity Charity. Wow, close. Yeah, you have it, you have it. <laughs> well, I know, it's, I know which blooper's going at the end of this episode. Uh, I did that in one take. You'll never know if that's true because of the power of editing. Goodbye.